Come one, come all to another episode of Dudes Talk Sports. I am your host, Will Thomas, and unlike Hugh Jackson, we in this mother lover today. Let's go. Dudes Talk Sports, hosted by Will Thomas and Chad Tujan. All right, welcome back, guys. Thanks again for joining us on another episode of Dudes Talk Sports. Today we're talking trades uh, with the upcoming NFL trade deadline happening at 4 p.m. Eastern today, which is Tuesday, October 30th. We got a whole lot of trades prospectively happening. I don't even know if that's a word, but it is now. We have a whole lot of trades that are upcoming potentially to happen, um, as well as trades that have already happened. We're going to cover both of those, and then we're actually going to hop across the proverbial sports pond to MMA and talk about discuss the trade the big trade the monumental trade uh that rocked the mma world and really set a precedence for what might be to come uh so and that would be of course demetrius johnson for ben Askren. so we'll get into that let's go and hop on over to the previous nfl trades that have happened thus far this year i'm only going to gloss over these just for a few of the mondo ones that have happened first up obviously some guy named khalil mack was had uh, for a few first-round picks, um, a third, a sixth, and really he got he got had for pretty cheap. Um, you know, considering his, his production thus far this year, I know he was out last week, uh, this past Sunday, with an ankle injury. Uh, but really, they swapped. They they got Khalil Mack a second-round pick and a fifth for two first-round picks, a third, and a sixth-rounder. I think one's a conditional. Um, and so, I mean, for you just be able to get that second round, you, you you're pretty much gonna swap that first round for that second round and for the first that they gave up um you have to imagine it's going to be pretty comparable to that second that they received along with Kalomac the bears that is um so the bears got away uh in hindsight with a, a pretty a pretty highway robbery type theft um going over to the next one Josh Gordon a conditional fifth to a possible seventh round pick right now he's got to play i think he's got to be active for 10 games and he's proven to do so. I mean, he's playing. He's he's coming into his own. I know last game was kind of a letdown. Um, yesterday, last night, I think he had four receptions for like 40 yards or something along that matter. Uh, but by and large, he's picked up the offense pretty quick, and he's become a really big go-to deep threat um, for Tom Brady and the New England Tom Brady's. Um, so, I mean, good for them. It was, it was a good trade, a minimal effort. I mean, you're giving off a fifth, possibly seventh-round pick if it doesn't work out because Josh Gordon's proven to – be Josh Gordon at times um, and he was actually supposed to be disciplined rumored to be disciplined this game by sitting out the first quarter for being tardy one of the major reasons why Cleveland decided to pull the plug towards the end not the major reason obviously but one of the reasons that was probably the straw that broke the camel's back with the Browns and Josh Gordon um, but you know by by and large he played the entire series or the entire game started the first series you know so who knows I think Andrew Brandt said it best uh, with higher with higher talent equals higher uh, forgiveness or something, something along that matter. You, you get the, you get the gist of it. Um, so th- I mean, those are really the only trades that I wanted to gloss into. There, there's been a few other ones <coughs> that has happened, um, but nothing, nothing really that's tickled my fancy. Uh, let's go ahead and move on in to upcoming potential trades. Now I want to really preface this by saying I'm not going to be looking at any prime players. There will be a few blockbuster trades just for, for shits and giggles uh, later later on in that little segment. Um, but I'm looking more so at established vets uh, with and without fat contracts. I know a lot of established vets with fat contracts that maybe, you know, I'm not saying Sammy Watkins is going to get traded. I mean, of that scenario where a vet that was a player, you know, a baller, but got signed to a really fatter contract than they may have deserved. Um, they, another team could be looking to offload them. And then we're going to go into some of the faulty first round picks. And what I mean by that is first round picks that quite 
haven't lived up to their billing yet. Um, and, and some that have, but some that have also had regret or regressed years. And then also lastly, players in the final year of their deal that are looking to be, uh, teams that are looking at to trade for a one year rental, possibly, um, for, you know, beyond that. Cause now it's, that used to be kind of frowned upon. Not a lot of teams traded for one year rental players, but a lot of teams now that they're reworking their, you know, their contracts within that part or part of the trade deal. Um, so, I mean, look case in point, Khalil Mack, you know, he, it's like he wanted the whole, whole reason he held on Oakland because he wanted to be appreciated and paid for what he was doing. And then all of a sudden the bears <coughs> sign him or trade for him and then sign him to some fat $144 million contract or something along the, those lines, a whole lot of money with triple digits that I can't count to cause I went to public school. Uh, so let's go and move on. Uh, let's start talking about some of the established vets. I'm only going to mention a few of these players um, just because I could go ad nauseum, and I'm trying to hammer this out. Uh, in time, I think we have maybe five hours looming before the trade deadline, so I really want to be on Twitter feverishly refreshing, much like you all, to see uh, if your favorite team, mine being the Packers, are going to trade for their uh, respective needs. So first one up, I know a lot of uh, pundits have actually been saying this as of late. Um, Golden Tate uh, and the the Lions have apparently been open and saying that they're open to trading Golden Tate, but it's going to take something that's going to knock their socks off. Now, I don't see Golden Tate going for anywhere near a high round pick. I just don't. I don't see him going for a first. Uh, then again, who knows? Amari Cooper really set that bar uh, going to Dallas and uh, Oakland actually getting a first-round pick out of the Dallas Cowboys. I know Amari Cooper, to me, has more upside, but Golden Tate, you know where he's at. You, you know what he's doing. You know He's, he's Golden Tate. Um, Amari Cooper is still in that fringe state where is he number one? Is he not? We can't tell. He's the number one right now with you know off-the-chart measurables, but he's been dropping everything. Like, uh, just like hot, hot, hot stuff. And so it's, I mean, I don't know. I see him going for possibly, you know, a third to fourth round pick if that, that is the case. But I mean, I, I wouldn't personally, um, then again, there's been a lot of teams that are apparently in the market for a prime wide receiver, cough, cough, New England. Um, and I think Golden Tate cough, cough would fit perfectly in New England. They're always looking for those shiftier, um, those shiftier uh, slot running backs or running backs, wide receivers, and Golden Tate gives a lot of uh, versatility along that. To where if you had Julian Edelman, you have Golden Tate, uh, you have a deep threat, and Josh Gordon, you have that deep middle um, and Gronk, who's been relatively quiet this year. Um, and then I can see possibly Hogan, um, Hogan or Dorsett possibly and trade it off. Who knows? Uh, I just think that if New England trades for a prime wide receiver, I think one of their wide receivers is going out on the way. Um, so who knows who that is, but I think Golden Tate could be a, you know, a dynamic fit for them. Uh, moving on, ha ha Clinton Dix, free safety for the Green Bay Packers. Um, I know a lot of people have been saying he's on the trade block. I think Rappaport and Glazer confirmed it this past Sunday. Um, man, I'm on the fence about this one. Um, ha, he's a good player. Uh, he's sometimes underwhelming and then sometimes he just plays lights out. And I know that I not being a free safety in the NFL or in collegiate for that matter, I don't truly understand the ramifications of the game plan, everything that has to go through his head while he's playing. So maybe, you know, the coverages that I'm seeing that he's not fitting, maybe that's not his, his assignment. You know, I, I understand assignments. I understand defensive alignments, but again, I'm, I'm not 
a professional ball player. So I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. And this year, I mean, he's he's had his underwhelming games. He's had his underwhelming moments where he was supposed to fill a hole and instead tackling waist up. He just kind of throws himself at the knees while, you know, dangerously lowering his neck, um, which makes it really susceptible to, like, you know, Nick, how Nick Collins got uh, – he got uh, IR'd and then retired uh, against the Panthers, I do believe. He went for a similar tackle on Jonathan Stewart, and Jonathan Stewart's butt just came down on his neck. Um, and then, obviously, the rest is history. He was diagnosed with spinal stenosis, and then after that, the Packers didn't feel comfortable with him playing ever again. So they did him a favor and said, hey, man, you can play, but you just can't play with us. We don't want that on our conscience. At least that's what I tell myself. Um, so I think that HaHa is in a nice position right now being a rookie um, or not being being on his rookie contract, playing as well as he has because he's been playing. He's he's had quite a bit of takeaways, and he's not playing terrible. He has games where he's lights out, and he has games where he's like, eh, it, it is what it is. Uh, but you know that defense has been pretty unhealthy. Um, <laughs> Sands last game against the Rams, and so he he's finding himself a lot of times in the position that he did last year, where he's trying to make up, and he's having to do a whole lot of stuff to cover a whole lot of other ground, and it's just it's he he can't make up for other players, especially when they're hurt. Um, which is why he's finding himself in a lot of questionable positions, at least in my opinion. Um, so I can see him. I don't know who he, who he wants to go to or uh, who who is uh, in dire need, but I can, I can see HaHa easily going out. Demarius Thomas, I know, again, he's been reported on if it's more than likely he's going to be on his way out of Denver. <laughs> and I think a lot of players, a lot more players than you think, are going to be on their way out of Denver having lost, I think, five out of their last six. Um, I think that they're close – they're super close to being in fire sale mode. Um, and honestly, they've been kind of uh, after, you know, the whole Peyton Golden years there. Um, I, I just don't see – I see that team imploding rather than uh, rather than exploding uh, sooner than later so they can restart that building uh, process. So I think Demarius Thomas could be on his way out. Who knows? Maybe that's another, you know, one of those spots at New England who is apparently willing to give up prime picks for a prime wide receiver. Maybe that's one of them, but I just don't see Demarius Thomas. I mean, they, I mean, I think they have Demarius Thomas and Josh Gordon, you know, I think Demarius Thomas is a much better route runner. Um, but Josh Gordon is fast and physical, just like Demarius. Um, I think Demarius is just definitely has his head on more straight. Um, next up Anyone from the Giants or Oakland, whoever's remaining, that is. I think you have players like I know that they're saying Janoris Jenkins, uh, Landon Collins. I mean, both those teams or both those players would be beautiful to have. Um, but <laughs> I think you know you already had Snacks moved out. I mean, I, I could see Alex or Alex Ogletree getting moved. I do not see OBJ uh, Odell Beckham Jr. getting moved. I, I just really don't. I think you they're, they're going to maintain some semblance of nucleus. Um, so I think one of the players on defense, I think it's going to be Landon Collins stays. Um, I think, you know, Barkley obviously stays rookie first round running back. And then I think OBJ stays. You have to have some nucleus there to build upon when the, uh, the waning arm of Eli Manning decides to match his bewildered face. Uh, it just always looks like he's smelling a fart. Um, Oakland, you have Bruce Irvin, you have, uh, Carl Joseph, some of those rumored type players. I definitely see Irvin on the move. I don't think Joseph's going to command a lot, but who knows? Maybe the fact that he won't command a lot, maybe that means that he can be had for cheap. Uh, Irvin, a 30-year-old pass rusher, still can get it done. Um, I can see him going to a veteran team for you know mid-round pick. Um, <laughs> just, there's not a lot left on those rosters. You know, the, you have Derek Carr, who was rumored for at one point to go to the Jags. I can see Derek Carr getting you know 
getting uh getting expedited out elsewhere. But again, I think that man, I I know you're committed to John Gruden. He's got that fat ten year guaranteed contract. Um, and if you really want to blow it up and just give Gruden nine million first round picks next year, then have at it and just see what where the chips fall in you know four years. That's pretty much what you're playing for. It's at that point if you trade off Carr you have a five-year game plan to see what can happen. Um, but, you know, I just think Oakland, there's not too many prime players left um, that tickles anybody's fancy. So I think moving into this, these are my two prime guys that I really see being moved um, just because one is in a contract year and he's going to get paid. And I don't see the uh, – with <laughs> the players that this team has, I don't see – their willingness to really shell out and command that much guaranteed money to their defensive line when they have other positions that they're going to have to pay. And this one is Jadavian Clowney for the Houston Texans. Um, I mean, much to say about Jadavian. Everybody knows his collegiate uh, accolades. Everybody see or everybody saw the four four. Uh, 40 that he ran at the combine his 6'7", 265 to 70 pound frame uh, dude's a monster dude has really woken up the past two years um, his first few years were underwhelming just because he's been he was he was nicked and hurt throughout you know by and large most of it um, but Jadavian man he's really coming into his own and paired up with uh, Mr. JJ Watt um, I just man they're they're definitely two fearsome uh, split ends and, and Jadavian can absolutely play outside linebacker too. Um, but I just really don't see them commanding that much money between their two book defensive ends, uh, along that line when, you know, you still have, I mean, you have a second year quarterback who I think is in, I, I want to say he has a four year rookie contract. I can't remember if it's four or five, but Deshaun Watson, you know, if he keeps playing the way he's going to get, the way that he's playing, he's going to get paid year three. And that's my opinion. Uh, but that's typically when you have that nuclear type talent, you want to keep him happy. I think he'll get paid year three, year four. If it's in a five-year deal, year four. If it's in a four-year deal, he's going to get paid next year. Um, and he's going to get paid tremendously because that's the way QB contracts are working up. Um, Aaron Rodgers right now has the highest paid QB contract. And then somebody who's lesser than Aaron Rodgers, in my opinion, Next year, we'll sign an even fatter contract and so on and so forth. Um, I think players are getting played at King's Ransom to play a kid's game. And by all means, get yours, boo-boo. Uh, but it's, uh, it's it's a bit much right now. And I think the QB market is going to just keep inflating, inflating as the uh, the, the cap goes up. And so Jadavian Clowney is one of my humongous prime uh, targets to be traded. Who he goes to, I don't know. There's plenty of teams that need a viable, dynamic, up-and-coming pass rusher that have the cap space to shell out uh, both draft picks and equity a la Khalil Mack and the Bears. Um, and so I think whoever trades for Clowney, I think that there's no shadow of a doubt that a contract is also in lieu of that. Um, there has to be an agreed-upon contract because what he's going to command draft pick-wise is uh, you don't want to shell out what you want to get him for a one-year rental, a half-a-year rental if, at that. So moving on to my next prime pick. This is my last prime pick before I jump over to the MMA trade. Vaughn freaking Miller, man. Uh, Vaughn's been, a, I mean, much like his entire career, this year has been, been a wrecking ball, man. He's one of those rare guys that can really bend the corner, run, you know, parallel to the ground 
while being able to sprint underneath a dinner table. He's so dynamic and so great at what he does. And that, that bend is what really separates those elite, elite pass rushers. And then include that in his off-the-chart measurables, his, his, his fire, his competitiveness, his, his ability is to be an absolute stud up front. Um, I see Von Miller being a possible guy that, that's on the move just because Denver is right now in a really crap scenario and Von Miller is their dude. They don't have any other the dudes. You know, it's like say what you want about Demarius, say what you want about Emmanuel Sanders. Um, you know, their version of Legion of Boom has been long blown up, and I think that Von Miller is their guy. And right now, they have a lot of uh, they have a lot of equity, uh, draft equity put along that front seven. I mean, you have guys like Shane Ray, you have Bradley Chubb, you have Shaquille Barrett. And I think that if you really want to make an impact, those three guys are still good. I know Shane Ray can't stay healthy to save his life, but if he can stay healthy and you have those three guys ship off Von Miller for a Khalil Mack type deal, a Mondo deal, get some draft picks in return. And then Elway has a foundation along with the draft picks that he has next year to really turn you know just turn the table right the ship and really you know ride off into the sunset uh that's possibly what i would do i I know it's never fun being the gm that trades a khalil mac or the gm that trades a von miller but sometimes it's necessary um just get what you can as opposed to what uh gm reggie mckenzie slash john gruden got for Khalil Mack. Don't do that. Don't do that. If you're going, if you're giving off Von Miller, get Von Miller type draft equity for the love of God. Um, but yeah, I think that if you trade him off, I mean, there's tons of draft equity that you can get to really rate that ship and still have that foundation along your front seven. You still have Chris Harris in the backfield. Um, you still have, uh, what's his name? Uh, not Bradley Roby. I can't remember his name. Guy who played at Ohio state cornerback. Uh, you still have him. You still have a, a good defense, um, and then on the flip side, you still have Emmanuel Sanders, an aging Emmanuel Sanders. You have Demarius Thomas. You have you know Philip Lindsley. Uh, you have Devin Booker. You have Hoist. I must keep wanting to say Hoist Freeman because Hoist Gracie, Royce Freeman. You still have a good squad. Uh, they're not great, but you still have a good squad and nucleus to build around. <laughs> and so if you have Von Miller type draft equity, get yours, boo boo. And so that was my final prime guy that I'm uh, that I'm seeing traded uh, in in my my head. Uh, so let's hop on over to the MMA trade that rocked the world. The UFC to one FC, or I think it was one championships. I think that's what the name is. UFC to one trade. Um, you had Demetrius mighty mouse Johnson, uh, the former flyweight, former longtime flyweight champ, 32 years old, uh, being traded for Ben Askren, the former belterweight and one welterweight champion, uh, who is 34. <laughs> so, I mean, that, that's pretty interesting. Uh, but, DJ, I mean, there's not much else he didn't do for the UFC. Um, I mean, he was he was an amazing champion, and not just inside the ring, outside or inside the octagon, outside the octagon. I mean, that guy was truly on an innovative level towards the end. He did stuff that pretty much when Anderson Silva had his back against the uh, back the back against the cage, and he's rope doping and letting a dude fucking just tee off on his face. And then all of a sudden he just hops back and lands a jab that puts him out or lands a right cross. Say, or the, what he did with Forrest Griffin. He just toyed with Forrest Griffin to where you go, oh, yeah, you're in the Matrix and Forrest is just fighting underwater. That's what it looked like. DJ was doing similar stuff. You know, I think he was fighting, I want to say it was Ray Borg um, towards the end. That was one of the ones that really made me go, oh, okay, yeah, you're different. DJ, like, I know, obviously, I knew he was different before, but he lifted Borg up. Like he was gonna go for a German suplex, and then and then mid suplex, 
curves him around, grabs his arm in midair, and then gets like a flying arm bar via suplex. And it was insane to watch. And I remember, like, I remember watching as soon as it happened. It wasn't one of the things where I went, oh, shit. It literally happened, and I was kind of like, I was, for like 20 seconds, you know, they say that the key to a magic trick is you have to let the audience watch and digest what's happening. You can't do anything too quick or too spectacular too quick, or else they're going to be left in the dark and be like, what did I just watch? And that's literally what how I felt. As soon as that happened, I was kind of like, okay, he submitted him. Then I'm like, wait, what did he do? And so Demetrius is that type of of fighter that one is now getting right and so he's coming off his uh his his first loss in quite a while since i think dominic cruz um losing his uh, flyweight title to henry cejudo a gold olympic gold medalist um who he beat via first round tico the first time face and, and then cejudo just looks like a mini machida almost he has like a very karate style um a very wide striking style to to, to go along with his uh excellent wrestling pedigree DJ also comes off the record for most title defenses. Um, again, I can go wax on and on and on and on and about his accolades, but I mean, he's just a, such a dynamic Anderson Silva type fighter. One of the best before the last loss was the best pound for pound fighter of all time, in my opinion, of absolutely all time. And I know a lot of people say, "Oh, small guys, you know, they don't really count because there's not a lot of danger." Look, Demetrius starch dudes. He starts Joseph Benavidez, um, who has an iron jaw. And so he has power. And in my opinion, it's more impressive for what DJ does because with heavyweights and light heavyweights, yeah, there's some guys that have speed, but power and technique is the game up there. And one shot can put anybody away. And when you're watching DJ fight, you know, Henry Cejudo and they're scrambling, you're seeing high speed, high functions that your brain can't even comprehend. They're literally fighting matrix moves. And you're not even understanding what's going on. They're playing human chess with dire consequences. And you're just thinking it's checkers. And it's amazing to watch all the techniques go on at full clip at that high rate, that high rate of speed. Um, and so that's what one's getting. One's getting the pound for pound best fighter of all time, in my opinion. Right? So let's flip on over so I'm not just like completely throwing Ben Askren under the rug. Because you, the UFC is getting a modern day Randy Couture, right? They're getting Randy Couture. If Chael Sonnen and Randy Couture had a baby, that's, that's literally Ben Askren. Uh, the former belterweight and one welterweight championship or champ at 34 got into a, got into MMA kind of late. Um, that being said, I mean, so did Randy Couture. You know, I said that Randy Couture was fed initially to uh, Vitor Belfort when Belfort was the next up-and-coming dude. They didn't know who Couture was. They just fed him to him because, like, yeah, Belfort's going to smash right through this guy. And Randy Couture goes, ah, you wouldn't just, you know, hold that real quick because I'm about to show you that I'm going to have a Hall of Fame career. And then he just demolished Vitor Belfort. That's what Ben Askren is. Ben Askren is 18-0-1. and He has one no contest via, I think, an eye poke. Um, so... He is, I don't want to say he's Khabib because he's not. He's such a different animal um, that what's really surprising is I know the UFC, Dana White specifically, and uh, Askren have been at odds for quite a few years just going back and forth and giving awesome sound bites like, uh, what was it? I think Dana White said Ambien takes Ben Askren to fall asleep, which was, <laughs> which was awesome. Um, and, and Ben Askren, again, holds his own 
by far, like I said, he's Chael Sonnen. Chael Sonnen's mouth, Randy Couture's, you know, style, but better. Much, much better. Um, and he just doesn't get touched, man. He doesn't get touched. And his striking has come on significantly. Before, and he used to smother guys who win a lot of unanimous decisions and just use his bread and butter. You know, his his, uh, his freestyle wrestling, his folk style wrestling, he used that, and he won plenty of championships outside of the Olympics. Plenty of championships with that pedigree. And so he brought that over to MMA and just goes, yeah, I don't need to be good at striking. I'm just going to do this, and I'm going to ride you for you know 15 minutes, and, and you're not going to do anything. And he can dictate everything. And so his last, I think five out of his last nine fights have come via TKO. And the other ones have been stoppages via, you know, rear naked, I think rear naked chokes, arm bars. Like he has submissions. He's turned into an absolute finisher. Um, his first strike, I think his first fight was a TKO, but then he had, again, he had this long stretch of unanimous decisions where he heavily leaned upon that wrestling style and rightfully so. Why wouldn't you want to do that? Um, and then, you know, like I said, his five out of his last nine fights were TKOs. A lot of the other ones were finishes. And so he's such a dynamic fighter coming into this that uh, I think if you wanted to make, I know he doesn't want to fight. He doesn't mind fighting at 170, but he's not going to fight his teammate Tyron Woodley, the champ right now. Um, I think if Tyron ever loses the title, then that makes way for him to really commit to 170. But I want to say that if you wanted to make a 165 title right now, this is the guy. This is your Ronda Rousey that you're bringing in to to really open up a division. I know Ronda Rousey was a little bit more monumental, you know, because they paved the way um, for all of the uh, the mainstream of women's MMA, and rightfully so, which is awesome to see. Um, but with Ben Askren, if you want to open up this 165, I know Poirier versus Nate Diaz, which was rumored to be for a 165 title before Dana White said, what, the f- what are you guys talking about? You guys are idiots. Before that happened... <laughs> Everybody was excited about that. But if you want to make a Ben Askren versus Nate Diaz 165 title bout, boom, matchmaker, there you go. That's how you sell a bajillion, kajillion dollars. And I know a lot of people might say, oh, well, only hardcore fans know who Ben Askren is. Trust me, a lot more people than hardcore fans know who Ben Askren is. And if you give him the horn for five months of promotion, I guarantee you everybody will will get to know Ben Askren Really quick, nobody gave a shit about Chael Sonnen until Chael Sonnen opened up his mouth. And once he did, within a few months, he caught fire. Fire. You gave him, you know, they gave Chael an opening to where like, all right, here's a primetime target in Anderson Silva. And Chael goes, cool, give me the horn. They gave him the mic, and he went on this beautiful pro wrestling tirade of just ripping into Anderson Silva over and over again. Uh, my favorite after a fight is when he goes, Anderson Silva, you absolutely suck, after Joe Rogan asked him how he felt about the fight, which was completely amazing. Um, and so that's what that's what Askren is bringing. He's bringing that level of viscosity and his venom you know, Venom coming through the, his actual mouthpiece. Uh, and he has the charisma. He has that villain that you want, like that you hate. And you p- pair him up against a Nate Diaz, an equally anti-hero type character. But now people are going to want to root for Nate because everyone's already turning to Nate's side. When the Diaz is at first, you only had the Diaz fanboys who liked him. Now, you know, they're, they're against establishment. They are the stone cold Steve Austin's of the UFC. And everyone's swaying towards the side. If you introduce him to a Ben Askren, Man, I believe that Nate Diaz will become a mega, mega, mega star. He's already a mega star, but I think he can come up on that 
full face turn, no longer heel, no longer anti-hero. He's that bad guy that you root for that's a good guy secretly at heart. And I, I think Ben Askren can bring the best out of him. So from on paper, <laughs> you know, the former flyweight champ, record holding for most title defenses, arguably best pound for pound fighter of all time for a really good fighter that cannot be beat. Um, Khabib like, I'm sorry, Habib like uh, record, um, couture like skills, but better, uh, charismatic mouthpiece. It looks like you're trading, you know, proven stats for prospect, but make no bones about it. I think both win in this situation because I think that the prospect that Ben Askren is with everything that he will bring is incredible for the UFC. They need stars right now. And DJ, even though he had all these accolades, they never pushed him. And I, I love that DJ is going to one now because not only is he able to you know, still maximize and make his other revenue off his streaming and his gaming and all that stuff and promotions with everybody that he sponsors for. But now he actually gets to wear his own sponsors. And now he actually gets to make real, real chant money. He was making real chant money before, but, you know, compared to, you know, the McGregor's and everything like that, he had far more accolades and yet was still, he was like, oh yeah, it's in that champ. That's how they, that's to me how they treated him. And so again, I'm not in, I'm not in the meeting, so I don't know, but I'm excited for him to go get his overseas. And I'm excited for Ben Askren to come over and go, all right, which one of you blah, blah, blahs want some of this? Cause it's going to be just nonstop shit talk. And within the first, you know, the, the organizations haven't acknowledged it yet. They haven't announced it, but both fighters have announced it within the first few minutes after it's been announced, you had a bunch of welterweights hitting up Ben Askren and Ben Askren just dishing out so much shit talk to him that it was just, it was incredible. I think, uh, Mike Platinum Perry said something like, oh, it's like, I'll, I'll be waiting. Or he said something, some tough guy thing. And then Ben Askren pretty much said, look, Mike, I appreciate you being the bravest since no one else is stepping up, but let's be real. You suck. You're not getting the fight. And it's just, he's a, he's a, he's a very beautiful, <laughs> very beautiful mouthpiece. Uh, so I'm excited to see what that trade holds. Uh, where, where I'm most excited about is <laughs> what this does for the evolution of the sport. Uh, and what I mean by that is what types of trades you're going to see because now you have organization. This is the first trade like this um, between you or between MMA organizations. The first notable one. Um, but are you going to see more like baseball type trades where the UFC will trade off? You know the, the type of trades where your starting pitchers traded away for you know a starting you know your starting all star pitchers traded away for a starting catcher and a you know, a minor leaguer prospect who's like a, a reliever or like a relieving pitcher, right? So you might see some of those. You might see like two uh, two lesser prospects of fighters traded off for a notable fighter. Um, you might see, you know, uh, you're going to have these two blockbuster type things where you have an ace for an ace. You know, I think that Aaron Pico, if you want to get traded from Bellator, uh, I mean, there, there's another prospect of ace. You're going to have to give up a lot to go get that young man, but he's going to be worth every bit. But I don't see Bellator really wanting to give up that unless you give, unless the UFC gives up names because that's what Bellator needs right now. They need names, and that's what they're really going after with all their free agents. Um, but, I, I mean, it's going to be really interesting because I don't just see it being blockbuster-style trades. It's going to be really strategic depth-type trades. There's going to be tr prospects that you're going to be trading for. Um, you, so you might have a Conor McGregor who's, before they become a Conor McGregor gets traded for, and all of a sudden the UFC has a new Conor McGregor and Bellator didn't even realize they had that. And so it's going to be very, 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 very interesting. Uh, another thing is it's going to give the fighters 
tons of more leverage if they're able to force, you know, you know, holdouts. It's like look at Le'Veon Bell right now and the Steelers. He's going, nah, I'm not playing. I'm not playing for this pay. You, you can go suck it. I'm going to sit over here. And when you want to pay me or trade me, you can do that. But he's like, I'm not going to pay or play for this pay. And, and conversely, though, the UFC could do what the Steelers are doing and go, all right, yeah, you can sit on the sidelines and you can suck it. So we're just going to sit here and ride this uh, this new back and we're going to make him our new star, James Conner. So, you know, when Conor McGregor steps away, they're going to put all their chips in somebody else. Like, you know, I think they're putting a lot of their chips into Cody Garbrandt. They're putting a lot of their chips into other people uh, when Conor was away, trying to make them their new stars. <laughs> so... I mean, you're going to have a lot of similar situations. If you know a fighter is, is really tired of their contract, they're tired of not being able to rep their sponsors in the octagon, I can see other fighters going, hey, I'm not going to fight for this. But you, the UFC is very strict, and I don't want to say petty, but they're going to be, they're very, like, they're very alpha when it comes to the business saying, all right, yeah, you don't want to fight? Cool, man. Then you're not going to fight. You're not going to be traded anywhere else. You're going to sit right there, and you're going to you know get behind on your bills, and I don't care because we don't care. And so I think it gives a lot more leverage to the fighters, but <laughs> I mean, it gives a lot more leverage because they see this now as a viable avenue. Uh, it's The trades are a little weird because it has to be probably agreed upon both independent contract fighters and them saying, all right, go yes, you can trade me for this guy. I'll go to this organization. Um, just release me from my contract. So if the UFC goes, hey, you know, Will Jenkins, we want to trade you. And I go, no, I love it here. You guys can go suck it. Then the UFC's, you know, shit out of luck. But then again, who knows? Maybe they could pay him off or something. Who knows? Uh, but this is going to be a very, what seems like it is a huge monumental trade, a big deal. But it's going over. There's not a lot of people thinking about the, 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 the innards of this trade deal and the ramification, the ripples that it's going to make amongst the sport. And that's what I'm most excited for. I'm most excited for, honestly, uh, you know, the baseball type trades, you know, where you're going to give up, you know, say, I don't know, say Holly Holm gets traded. A viable star, a pay-per-view seller, but she's not, you know, she's not like a Conor McGregor or a Ronda Rousey type name, even though they beat, she beat Ronda Rousey. She's not that type of name. I think that, you know, you, you could have a Holly Holm get traded for, you know, a, a viable veteran name plus an up and coming monster of a fighter. And that nobody knows about, but the UFC's had their eye on for a while, and it just happened that Bellator got to him first. So I'm excited to see about that. Like, I mean, I think that opens the door tremendously for a lot of uh, a lot of different ways to go about the sport. So that is my uh, my weekly talk about trades. We have three hours and 45 minutes counting until the trade deadline has happened. Um, who do you want your team to get? Go ahead and comment us, message us. Uh, we are on Instagram, Twitter. Twitter is at Dudes Talk Sports. Instagram at Dudes underscore Talk Sports. You can go to our website, www.dudes-talk-sports.com. Uh, you can email us at TalkingSportsDudes at gmail.com. You can thank Chad for every single one of those different variations of Dudes Talk Sports. Again, who do you want your team to trade for? What do you think about the Demetrius Johnson versus Ben Askin trade? What do you think about the Khalil Mack trade, even though that's happened 900 years ago and maybe you just crawled out from underneath the rock? I don't know. I'm your host, Will Thomas, and like Todd Haley, we out of here!